0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hello, and welcome back to our study in Galatians. We have been talking the last couple weeks about how Paul has been writing to the churches in Galatia because it seems as though they are compromising the gospel. There are some Jews there that are trying to impose some old Jewish laws and traditions upon some Gentiles there and telling them that they actually have to do them in order to be saved. And so Paul, I mean, he is just furious about this. He is coming out swinging. He's trying to let make sure people know he's an apostle with an authority. And he's, he's talked with the brothers, and they are all in agreement that this needs to be addressed and quickly. And so Paul begins diving into just unpacking the true gospel, and therefore how they have abandoned it. In fact, what we talked about last week was how the listeners probably were starting to maybe ask some questions like, Who is Paul to tell me this? Why should I believe him? And is he right? And so what we began to talk about last week is, in light of Paul's story, is that he is an apostle. He is somebody who has experienced God. He is somebody who's been commissioned by him, and that the gospel that he's preaching, it's not for him, it's not about him, it's not from him. And so he has every bit of, of credence to come before the Galatians and start to tell them the truth not only about what the true gospel is, but how they've abandoned it. And today, what we're going to dive into is, is he right? All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our text in chapter 2, verse 11, and it says this. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, Paul's first point in his argument is that Peter has been living an inconsistent life. Peter, the guy that everyone looks up to. Peter, the guy that the Galatians would know and follow. He's saying, man, Peter actually came down and he would eat with Gentiles. But it wasn't until some Jews, some friends of James came, that he decided he was going to start shying away and giving them the cold shoulder. And his influence, him being a primary leader, it actually impacted the way that other people in the church started treating Gentiles. In fact, Paul says Barnabas himself started to be compromised on this point, and Peter is finally confronted by Paul. And Paul says, Peter, man, you are living a life like a Gentile ever since you had faith in Christ. Why now are you going back to these laws, these traditions, and then still trying to impose them upon Gentiles when you know the truth? Man, it's inconsistent, it's dangerous, and it compromises the truth. And I think there's, there's an important point here that I don't want you to miss. And our leaders fail sometimes. And Peter is, is a leader, a primary leader in the church, and yet he make, makes mistakes. He compromises on things that are wrong, and man, it hurts people sometimes. And it's just a helpful reminder to us who are part of the church that even though we have godly leaders that have been put in place, they are still not perfect leaders. That the truth is that our one true leader is God. And so long as we put all of our hope and faith in a personality, or in a leader in the church that we just, we love their teaching or, or their presentation or whatever. And we will be disappointed. But this has everything to do with the gospel that Paul is trying to protect. He's saying that our failures don't have to define us. That everything will be redeemed. That, that we no longer have to be disqualified. But actually we can be repurposed. And he's trying to show us that the gospel actually gives us the ability to make mistakes and to have failures, but no longer be defined by them. Now, this doesn't give people the right to be disobedient. Like, we as leaders in the church are still required to be above reproach. We're still required to be an example of what it means to deny yourself. But the truth is that when we make mistakes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that forgiveness and reconciliation are still possible. And it is a reminder when we do that our true, holy, and perfect leader is God. It is him that we follow. And man, it's it's just good for us as a church to continue to be reminded of what this means, that we are following God and God alone. And Peter knew this too. Man, Peter knew the truth. Listen to what he says in Acts 15. He said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You see, Peter knew. Peter knew, he understood He makes mistakes, but he's back on track, and the gospel, it does that, it changes us. It changes everything about who we are and who we are becoming, and this is exactly what Paul wants us to hear as he begins to explain the true gospel against the false. Listen to what he says in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now remember, Jews saw themselves as the chosen people of God right? It was God who made a covenant with Abraham that he would expand his family. It was God who made a covenant with Moses to give him the family rules. It was God who made a covenant with David to tell him who would be king of the family. And here Paul's saying that we as Jews know that it is impossible to be perfectly obedient to the law and therefore it is impossible to be justified by it. We fail all the time. And that word justified, man, it is a meaningful, meaningful word. It's a forensic term. It's legal. It's like a judge in a court of law who's giving a pronouncement of guilty or not guilty. He's giving the verdict. And he's saying that so long as we are judged by the law, we are under the, the verdict of guilty. And he pronounces this over us. It is only in faith. It is only in faith in Christ that we can receive a, a verdict of an absolutely perfect verdict of not guilty. It will never change in Christ. That is why it's so important to be in Christ. And this has become true for Jews and Gentiles. It's the good news. It's the best news. Our failures don't define us. Our deeds won't follow us. Our lives are no longer a performance. We don't have to prove ourselves anymore because as long as we have faith in Christ, the judge says not guilty. Man, this is amazing news. And so Paul continues on in verse 17, but if... In seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not! If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, Paul, again, he's trying to answer a question that he assumes the Galatians might be asking. But I'll be honest, this first question is a little bit hard to completely understand. And I think the reason is because the way the NIV frames it uses the word promotes instead of servant. ESV and the NRSV uh, read servant, so it actually changes the way that the sentence reads a little bit. I want to read it for you from the ESV. It says this, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? You see, what what he's assuming that the Jews may be asking is, if I as a Jew have faith in Christ, and it comes to pass that I actually am a sinner, God sees me as a sinner, Won't that mean that Christ became a servant of sin? Like he was simply doing its bidding, luring me into a life with Gentile sinners and away from the law. And And Paul is emphatic about his answer, absolutely not. He says, if the law has been destroyed, there's nothing to judge you. He says, if the law is gone, there's nothing to fear. But as long as you try to earn your salvation, as long as you try to earn your relationship with God through good works, through your obedience to the law, You are resurrecting the law. You are rebuilding the law. And it's only showing that you're a lawbreaker. That's all it's doing. He's saying, get rid of that. And then in verse 19, man, we really get into the meat of what Paul is talking about. He's saying, the law kills us. We cannot uphold it. We can't do it. When the law is in our life, when we rebuild it or it's simply we're trying to live by it, it, it's like a verdict that hangs above our head that screams guilty. And the judge, it's he's coming with a sentence, with a life sentence that actually says, you're going to be killed. You're going to be executed for what you have done. Look what Paul says, though. I mean, he says, instead of me dying, Christ did. It's faith that changes everything. Unites us with Christ, it unites us in Christ. And so the death that Christ died actually becomes the death that we should have. And the life that Christ lives, we get to live. Man, it changes everything. Christ changes everything. You see, Christ was the only one who upheld the law perfectly, and yet he gets our verdict of guilty. And we who are lawbreakers, we receive his verdict of not guilty. This is the gospel, and the law no longer has to define us. This is why Paul says in verse 20, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And this is the problem, man, that their actions, their beliefs, their lives, they're trying to make Christ sacrifice mean nothing. Because instead of being people who are alive, who are being resurrected, they're trying to resurrect the law and it's killing them. It's simply resurrecting a verdict that reads guilty all over again. And Paul can't believe it. He's stunned. That's why in chapter three, he turns to such a a direct and confrontational word again. Listen to what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard and this this section hardly needs explanation it's direct it's clear and I love the way that N.T. Wright kind of uses an illustration to frame it. He says it's similar to a tightrope walker. There was an old tightrope walker that he could do some amazing things. He would he would put a tightrope across these big, deep, wide chasms and he would walk across them and he was so good at it. I mean, he could go forwards and backwards and he could perform tricks. And it was even said that he would he would actually put a stool on it and eat from it. And there was one time when he invited a volunteer, trying to get a volunteer to allow him to carry him on his back across the tightrope. And see what Paul's doing, he's saying, this is exactly what's this is a similar understanding of what's happening. You Galatians, you are like that volunteer. You are on the back of a, of a tightrope, tightrope walker who can walk perfectly across the tightrope. But now you're getting halfway through and you're saying, I think I'm gonna get off and do the rest on my own. How foolish. Really? God has brought you this far and now you're abandoning the Spirit in order to walk according to the flesh again? And Paul, he can't believe what he is witnessing and seeing. And he uses this wordplay here that I don't want you to miss. You see, he says, you saw Jesus Christ crucified, but they didn't see him crucified. What he's saying is that when we proclaimed the gospel to you, That it penetrated your soul and your heart and your mind so much that it became so vivid it was as if you saw Jesus Christ himself crucified and you responded in faith and repentance. And then he says, who has bewitched you? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, "Who? how is it possible that somebody has spoken more powerful words than the ones that we first proclaimed to you? Was it a spell? Was it an incantation? Was it something that now has power over you that you would reject and abandon the very words of God that saved you and brought you life? Now, what's interesting is Paul assumes here that they have the Holy Spirit, and he's asking them in light of the Holy Spirit, in light of what it's produced thus far, was it through obedience or belief? It was belief. It was belief, it was faith, it was trust. And now he says, the tightrope walker, man, he's brought you so far. Why would you get off and try to do the rest on your own? Has the Holy Spirit not already accomplished so much more than you could have on your own? And Paul is emphatic. Man, the tightrope walker is God and the only way you're getting across it is if you let him carry you the whole way. You see, it's belief and it's trust that makes us right with God, not our performance. And Paul continues, he uses an illustration of his own. In verse 6, he says this, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith see, Paul says that not only does Peter Peter's mistake show that Paul is right about all this, but so does Old Testament, Scripture. So does all of those things that they had learned previous to this. So does Abraham, their father in their faith, who was so obviously made righteous, not by what he did, but by who he believed. And this is the whole point, that what made him righteous? Belief. And this is still true for us today. It is belief that unites the Jew and the Gentile together to have righteousness. It is belief, it is faith that makes the family of God. And Paul says this is what scripture had testified to the whole time, that Abraham would be a blessing to the entire world, not just to the Israelites, but to all who call Christ King. So those who have faith are blessed through Abraham, a leading example of what it means to believe friends it is only faith that saves us and the truth is paul has made it clear that he will and he will do so in every letter that you are no longer being judged by what you have done but by what christ has done and it is because of what christ has done that his spirit has revived our life it's taken up residence within us and it produces the goodness that we can never produce on our own and so we get to join in with that praise that Paul started in chapter one about what the gospel is, what it has accomplished. Praise our God for him be glory and forever and ever. Amen. And next time, Paul will continue to show why he is right, looking deeper into this theology, unpacking it further and further and further until we completely understand that the gospel shows us how the law fails, but how Christ succeeds in giving life. And so we'll see you next time. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.